And Father, as we now turn to your word, I pray that your hand would be upon us, uh, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, you know the circumstances of our lives. You know what's going on with every single person who walked in those doors this morning, and you know what your word says, and you desire to do great things through your word in our hearts. And so do that, Lord. We beg you. Don't leave us like you found us, Lord. Accomplish your work in our hearts. And we ask in your mighty and precious name. Amen. Joshua chapter 4 is where we're going to be. A little bit of a special uh, message this morning. It's not special in that it's different. Uh, We're still teaching the Word of God, but we just finished up a series on uh, the parables of Jesus, and now we are headed into the book of Acts next week. So we usually teach through the Bible uh, through a book, and so we're going to be starting Acts next week. But this morning, because it's our fourth birthday, uh, because four years ago this Sunday we were just starting out, Um, We're going to take a look at Riverstone Chapel and why we named the church Riverstone Chapel and kind of what that means to us. And so that story takes place in Joshua chapter 4. Four years ago, we opened the church doors for the very first time. I had no idea what was going to happen, what this was going to look like. Um, And God has really provided for and sustained us. And I can't tell you what an honor I consider that to be. And I don't say that like fake humble brag, like I really am just like incredibly blessed at the people God has brought. Uh, There's been people who were here for short seasons that were incredibly helpful. And there's been people who have been here for the whole time and I love them too. And just the the whole spectrum of people that God has brought has been incredible and we're grateful for it. And it's not the norm everywhere. Not every church is growing and sustaining and bringing new people. And and I don't take that for granted. And our volunteers don't take that for granted. Um, And I think like what God is doing here is incredibly special. Um, And so I'm just so grateful for it. I don't know how else to say it. I've said it like 20 times, but I'm very grateful. Um, But we were sitting in a leadership meeting this week and I was saying, it's going to be our birthday and I want balloons and hats and kazoos and some form of sugar, like it's just I want all this stuff. And uh, one of our leaders kind of raised their hand and they're like, "I've never been to a church that celebrates its own birthday." I mean, <laughs> and maybe that's what you're thinking. Maybe you walked in and you're like, "There's balloons, really? Like, grow up, Jared. Like, only children make a big deal about their own birthdays." And, um, and I'm not going to argue with you about growing up. That's probably a valid argument. You and my wife are probably like, "Yeah, grow up." But I will argue with you about remembering, because remembering and remembering well is not just something uh, that kids do on their own birthdays, but it's something that God commands all throughout his scripture. And he has actually created patterns of remembering well from the very beginning of your Bible. Uh, So if you look at the very beginning of your Bible, you will notice that at the very beginning, God creates everything. And within the first page, he creates for six days. And then on the seventh day, it says he rests. And later on, we're told why he did that was because he set apart that seventh day, made it holy, that you would remember That you would remember, he's almost like he's hanging out with the angels. He's like, they are so bad at remembering. We have to make this happen every week or they will forget. Like, write it, like within the first page of your Bible, God sets up a rhythm of remembering who he was and that he created and how powerful he was and what he accomplished and why all of this matters. Right at the very beginning of your Bible. Now, That was the Sabbath for the Jewish tradition, which happened on Saturday. And once Jesus came, died on the cross and resurrected, the followers of Jesus 
took that same idea of a holy day and moved it to the first day of the week, which was the day that Jesus resurrected. But it's still the same idea. It's this once a week, we remember the goodness and grace and character of our God, which is actually why we're here on this Sunday morning. This is the day Jesus rose from the dead. Somebody say amen. amen. Yeah, so this is a day worth celebrating and remembering. And as we go a little further in our Bible, we see that the people of God uh, from Genesis, we see the people of God, they start to do this thing uh, where they set up stones. Have you ever read that in your Bible? And you're like, what's that all about? Like there's, they're, they're having experience with God and they're setting up stones. That's actually called an Ebenezer stone, right? So we actually sang about it in Come Now Fountain. You want to throw that up there for me, Brandon? The second verse, I believe it is. Yeah. So it says, here I raise my ghost of Christmas past. No, that's Ebenezer, right? Some of you have never heard that other than Ebenezer Scrooge and the Christmas story. But uh, Ebenezer is a Hebrew transliteration. The Hebrew word transliterated into English for stone is Eben. So Ebenezer is a, literally a stone of help. Not that the stone actually helps us, but that we remember the help that the Lord gave by setting up these stones. And so as you go through your Old Testament, you'll see over and over and over again, the people of God, when God moves mightily on their behalf or shows his character and grace, they set up these stones in remembrance. And the 12 stones that were stacked next to the Jordan River are actually Ebenezer stones that we're going to talk about, uh, which is why we named the church Riverstone Chapel. So we have these patterns not only of weekly remembering well what God did and does and his character, but then we have these events that people remember this place, this location, this event that happened, these circumstances, and they set up these Ebenezer stones. And then God actually created a rhythm of feasts uh, for his people to celebrate and remember well. And, and feasts, if you didn't know, uh, in your Old Testament were like parties with a purpose, right? So they were like, yeah, let's get some food and some drink and some celebration. And like, let's just have, and their feasts lasted for like a week at a time. And some of them were regular holidays. There were four kind of big ones, but then there was other smaller ones. And then some of them were based on events like a wedding feast which is actually the picture that God uses for the culmination of all the things. And we're looking forward to this wedding feast when we get to be with God in heaven forever. And so there's this huge importance placed throughout your Bible on remembering well, on celebrating well, on reminding yourself of who God is, what he's done, what his character's like, how he's worked in your life. And these patterns of remembrance and celebration are set up in all different aspects of life, weekly rhythms, yearly rhythms, events and circumstances and places in people's lives. And even it doesn't just stop in your Old Testament, right? You get to the New Testament and Jesus is sitting there with the bread and the cup. And what's he say? Do this in remembrance of me, right? He says, don't forget don't, don't forget what, like, continue to do this. That's what we would call uh, in 2021 communion, right? And, and incidentally, that took place at a Passover feast was another time of remembrance. So all through your Bible, we see these commands of God. Don't forget. Don't forget to remember. Don't, don't, don't. You should remember not to forget. Like, there's all these different instances where God tells us we need to be remembering, and so from that point forward, we have this, this 
kind of Christians not only are built into the Jewish pattern of rhythms of remembering, but also are called to remember Jesus and what he's done. And so as we continue on in our Bibles, we actually see uh, that God comes to a man, and this is where we're going to get to Joshua chapter 4, but we're going to start the story a little bit back so we get a run into it. Uh, As you're going through your Bible, God creates everything. Mankind decides like, nah, I'm good. I'm going to do my own thing. They eat from the fruit of the tree that they were not supposed to eat from, and God comes down, and what's he say? He says, you guys suck. You're going to have to follow all these rules so that if you follow enough rules, you go to heaven one day and I won't burn you in hell. No, that's actually not what he said, right? Some of you are like, wait, I don't think that's in my Bible. It's not in your Bible, right? God actually came down from heaven and said, I'm going to send a savior. I'm going to send a savior. He's going to fix all of this. He's going to fix what you've broken. Now, there's going to be severe consequences to what you've done. Nothing on planet Earth, nothing that I've created is going to continue to work like it was intended to work. Like the way I created it is not how it's going to function going forward. There's going to be significant consequences, but I'm going to send a savior. And so humanity was looking for the savior. The whole time, oh, when's he coming? Where is he coming? And if you go a little bit further in your Bible, you get to Genesis chapter 12, and God picks a man. You probably know him as Abraham. And God says to this man we know as Abraham, he says three promises. He says, I'm going to make you a nation. I'm going to give you a land. And your family is going to be that nation that lives in that land that comes from your family is going to be a blessing to the entire world because the Savior of the world is coming through you. So those are the three promises. You're going to become a nation. Your family is. You're going to inhabit a land. I'm going to give you a homeland. You're going to be a blessing to the entire world. So what happens is 400 years goes by since God makes that promise to Abraham. And after 400 years, what ends up happening, if you read through the book of Genesis and and the beginning of the book of Exodus, is the people of God, Abraham's family, are actually in Egypt. And they have enough people to become a nation. There's like hundreds of thousands of them in Egypt. But because of the circumstances that led them being into Egypt, they're actually not a nation because they're not free. They're slaves. They're forced labor in Egypt. And so what happens is, if you read through your book, your Bible in the book of Exodus, God, that's the story of God bringing these people out of Egypt, setting them free from that slavery, that bondage. And they actually go out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, which we'll talk about here in a minute. And then they go through the desert, the, the desert in, in the Middle East, the Sinai Peninsula Desert. And they come to the edge of the Promised Land. That, that land that God said, I'm going to give you. So at this point, they are a nation. They're now free from Egypt. They're like, the first promise has come true. Hallelujah, this is great. And they come right to the Jordan River. And the Jordan River signifies the border between the desert and the promised land. So they're like right across the river from the land that God said he was going to give them as a homeland. And God says, let's go, go on in. And the people are like, nah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's scary over there. There's, there's, there's a lot of big people, and they look tough, and, and we might lose a fight. And they don't go in. 400 years in Egypt, then all of the, if you've read the book of Exodus, you know there's like the plagues and the whole thing, and like, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go. Right? There's a whole thing, right? And they cross the Red Sea. There's all these miracles. 
and they get to the edge of the promised land. Some of you that grew up in church, that was funny, huh? You're, you're vibing with me right now, right? They get to the edge of the promised land. The Jordan River's right there. And God says, go in. And they forget. God built these rhythms and these practices of remembering, and they forget. They forget how good God was. They forget the circumstances he already overcome. They forget the miracles that he's done. They forget the way that he walked them through difficulty. And they, turn, they, they listen to their fear instead of the faith that remembering produces. And God says, fine, if you don't want to go in, I'm not going to force you to go in. If, you're, if, you, if you don't think I could do this, then you don't need to go into the promised land. And God says, you're going to wander for 40 years and your kids are going to get to go in. You won't get to go in, but the next generation is going to get to go in. So that's exactly what happens in your Bible. They wander around in the desert for 40 years. And it says their clothes didn't wear out and their shoes didn't wear out. Even though it was kind of a punishment, God was still taking care of them. Right? God was still providing for and protecting them. For 40 years, their shoes didn't wear out. Like Nike needs to get on that, whatever that deal was. Right? So they come back around, and they're now at the promised land, the border of the promised land again. They're standing on the edge of the Jordan River. And this is the children of the people who didn't want to go in 40 years ago. So not only do they remember the goodness of God, but they remember the failure of their fathers. And they're like, we're not going to forget like they forgot. And so that's where we pick it up. Joshua chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And God gives this command. He says, priests, take the Ark of the Covenant, which was like this kind of uh, holy relic that, that they had been carrying around. Uh, it was significant because it kind of symbolized the presence of God. So the priests carried it on these poles on their shoulders. So there was four priests and these long poles and the Ark of the Covenant was kind of sitting in the middle of it. And it, he told those priests, he said, walk into the Jordan River and see what happens. And they walked into the Jordan River and it stopped. It dried up. And the whole nation, the hundreds of thousands of people, walked across the river on dry ground. And that's where we pick it up. Joshua chapter 4, verse 1. It says, when all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan River, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, take 12 stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodged tonight. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it passed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. It's another pattern, another instance, another time where God says, you need to remember this. You need to remember who I am. You need to remember what I've done. So we have this thing. Joshua grabs 12 guys. He said, hey, go over there, grab the biggest stone you could find, right? Bring it out here, and we're going to stack them. And that's why we actually named this church Riverstone Chapel, right? And if you look at the logo, there's 12 stones. I'll give you a second, because you're all going to be like, one, two, three. Yeah, there's 12 in there, right? That's why we did it, right? Because I think there's some instances, there's some things taught about 
remembering well and the character and nature of God and what it means going forward for the people of God that are foundational for our church and, and how we see ourselves and what we feel like God is calling us to accomplish. First off is this. You cannot tell this story without remembering the promise of God. Okay, so we talked earlier about God gave Abraham these three promises, and one was that they were going to become a nation. He led that people of God out of Egypt, out of their slavery, and they were a nation, but they didn't have a homeland. And this is the first moment that they are stepping into their homeland. This is, this is, this is ours. This is where we belong. This is our home. This is the second promise that God had made to Abraham that is now being fulfilled. And so you can't just look at those stones and be like, oh, yeah, God did this cool thing where the water stopped and we walked across. It was nuts. No, no, no. You have to start way before that and say, this is the place where God did what he said he was going to do. This is the place where God made good on his promise. This is the place where the word of the Lord, the promises of God, were proven faithful and true. You can't tell the story without finding the power of the word of God in the story. Right? That's what's incredible about these stones. It's not just God did a cool thing here. God told us beforehand. We trusted him. We walked for 40 years through a desert when our parents did not remember well, did not trust in God, and we trusted in what God said, and these stones are proof that our God is as good as he says he is. That's a powerful testimony, right? We sang that earlier, like, this is my testimony. This is their testimony, right? This is the power of the word of God proving faithful and true over not only decades, but generations. So we have these stones stacked. And, and, and it's a memory of not only what God did, but how his word was faithful. And another thing that this does, these, this stack of stones in, in the desert next to the river, it reminds you of the role that you play in life. As they look at these stones, they were reminded of what God did and now what their life looks like because of what God did. Do you see that? As the kids, like in the, in the passage, the kid's like, Dad, what's up with those stones? And, and the dad's like, well, this is what happened with God. And all of the things that they are now experiencing, the, the, the people that they are, the nation that they've become, the freedom that they have, the homeland that they enjoy, the fact that they're even having a conversation between father and child, all of that is because the goodness and faithfulness and trustworthiness of our God and his word bringing them into the promised land. And they are not initiators of this goodness and this promised land and this kindness, but responders to the greatness of God. Do you see that? You're, you're not an initiator. If you didn't know that, like you didn't pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and like... The world does not need one more person on planet Earth who thinks they saved themselves. The, the world does not need one more person who thinks they are the hero of the story. We got enough, amen? Right? There's enough people out there running around that are so consumed with themselves and their plans for their life and their structure and their, well, we got it all. We got the 10-year plan, the 20-year plan, and the, you know, all this stuff. Like, that's not biblical, 
You are a responder, not an initiator. You did not save yourself. You responded to a God who in his kindness offered you salvation. That's orthodox right there. That's biblical right there. That's what we see in the word of God, that God in his kindness reached out to us and showed grace to us and we responded to. We did not earn our salvation. Right? That's the problem with kind of that thing I, I made fun of earlier, which pray for me, I mock a lot of people. You know, sarcasm, it's the lowest form of wit and that's what I'm super literate in. Pray for my wife, right? But there's this like, if we follow the rules, we'll get into heaven. No, that's a, you, that makes you the initiator. Like you decide like, I'm gonna follow the rules and I'm gonna make my way into heaven. That's not how it works. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that God initiated. God showed his grace. God showed his kindness. God showed his love in offering you salvation. And so the life we live as Christians is not as initiators, but responders to the salvation that God has already offered us. I follow the rules because I'm grateful, not because I'm earning my own salvation. Do you see the difference? And that's what these people are stacking these stones for. Like as they look at those stones, they go, you know what? We didn't stop the, the Red Sea. We didn't stop the Jordan River. We didn't make our shoes last for 40 years and our clothes not wear out. We didn't bring the quail and the manna. Like we didn't do any of that stuff. The pillar of cloud by day and the fire by night. None of that was us. We are simply responding to the God who has already shown us grace and mercy. And that's the truth from the, from the very beginning, the people of God, no matter what their form, whether it be the nation of Israel or the church of Christ, it's always been the people of God is live a life of response. We are always responders and we are always grateful. And these stones are an indicator of just how important that was to the people of God, that they would remember that. All right, let's finish the chapter up because uh, I only got 10 minutes left. Jump down to verse 19. Look at what it says. It says, the people of God came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. Verse 23, for the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. One of the reasons that this passage is so powerful is because God explains not only to set up the stones, but what to do when the conversation comes up, right? He doesn't just say, like, this is, there's, there's lots of instances in the Bible where it says, remember well, remember well, remember well. Here he says, this is what it looks like to remember well. Not only set up the stones, but then when the conversation comes up because of the stones, this is what you should say. Like when your kids go, what's up with the stones? Then this is what you should respond with. And so that's why this passage is so powerful because it's not just like, hey, you should remember, but this is how you should remember. This is what your conversation should look like. This is the way you should live in remembering. And I think that we see that the point of these stones here is that the story is passed on. 
You see that? The whole point of the stones and the whole point of God teaching his people to remember well is that the story would not stop with this generation, that the story would be continually told. So the stones are a reminder that this story of the faithfulness of God and the unfailing nature of his word, his kindness and grace towards his people, is a story that needs to continue to be told. Don't stop telling the story, is what God's saying. Like, this story needs to be told. Somebody's got to tell this story. My people better be the ones doing it. Like, this story can't stop with you. Other people need to know what has happened. Other people need to know how good God has been. Other people need to know what God has done in your life. See the stones? Tell the story. See the stones? Tell the story. See the stones? Tell us. That's the pattern that God sets up here, right? Like you're walking about stones, kid, what's up? Oh, yeah, I got to tell you the story. Have I not told you the story? And hopefully you tell the story enough that your kid's like, I know the story already, right? You do that with your grandparents, right? Like they start to tell you, I'm getting to that age, which kind of sucks, where I start to tell a story and my kid rolls his eyes. Because I think in my mind I'm telling it for the first time. But I can tell by my kid's reaction, I'm not telling it for the first time, right? That sucks getting old, don't do it. But anyway, like this should be happening. Like you should be continuing to tell the story. And that's what the stones are representing. In 2021, we've actually come up with a name for that idea of continuing to tell the story of God. Uh, and, and it's not in your Bible, but it's something that you'll recognize. It's called discipleship, right? That's, that's what we're doing. We're continuing to tell the story of God and his goodness and his grace and his kindness and how we respond. Like, that's discipleship. At its most simple level, that's what the people of God have always been called to do. Don't stop telling the story. Continue to tell the story. The story cannot end with you. It's got to keep going. It must be passed on. And in fact, the last thing Jesus told his disciples to do was what? Go and make disciples, right? Keep telling the story. Keep telling the story of me and what I did and how I died on the cross and rose from the dead three days later and the things that I taught you. Tell those stories. And that's what we have in our Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The story shouldn't stop with us. If you've been around our church very long, you know that we feel like this is our calling as a church. This is why we exist, is to make disciples. And as we look through the Bible, we see four steps of discipleship that are present every time God uses a people, every time God uses a person, uh, calls him a disciple. The people of God always have these four steps. So actually, I'll throw it up here. If you're not familiar with it, I'll put it on so you can recognize it. Uh, this is our mission statement as a church. We exist to glorify God by helping people know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. These are the four steps of discipleship we see in the scripture. We see God doing this over and over, Old and New Testament. We see the disciples, the people who are following, the people who are telling the story, they know God, they've found freedom, they've discovered their purpose, and then they go out and make a difference. And that's, that's, that's the foundation. That's, that's all, like, sometimes you're like, church is a lot of things going on. There's not a lot of things going on. There's one thing going on, making disciples. 
Now, we've broken it into four steps to make it a little easier for you to follow. But this is what God has always called his people to do. Tell the story. And when you tell the story, people are going to know me better. They're going to find freedom. They're going to find out their purpose. And they're going to go make a difference. And so if we're doing this right, if we're on the right track, we should be able to look at Joshua chapter 4. And we should be able to see these four steps, right? If we didn't just make this up out of nowhere, this is actually in the word of God. So let's do it. Let's run through it. Do we look at Joshua chapter 4 in the response of the parent to the child? And do we see anything that points somebody to knowing God? Look at your Bible. You shouldn't be looking at me right now. You should be looking at your Bible. I should see the top of your head. And I should be able to judge you whether or not you're balding. Right? <laughs> this is like, look at your Bible. Do you see the focus on knowing God? Look at verse 24. So that all the peoples may know. Do you see that? That's what it's been from the very beginning. That all the peoples would know. This is why the stones are stacked. This is why the goodness of God was manifest for the people of God. This is why God led these people on this journey. So that all the peoples would know. You need to know God. That's where it all starts. This is the first step of discipleship. That you would know God. And to be honest, this is why remembering well is so important in your life. Because to know somebody, you have to remember. You, you have to, if you walked in this morning, right, and there was somebody that you had seen at church before, and they're like, what was your name again? You would assume they don't know you, right? If you can't remember my name, you definitely don't know me, right? That's, that's one of the things relationship, like, necessitates that we remember. That's one of the things that's so sad about people uh, who end their life with dementia or, or, or Alzheimer's or, or some of these things where they can't remember. When they can't remember, they no longer have relationships with people who are important in their life. Right? They forget people like their, their children or their spouse or, or somebody who is close to them, a friend. And so it's an issue with remembering, but their, their remembering, their, their lack of remembering destroys relationship, destroys knowing one another. And so if you don't remember well, you can't know God. If you forgot what he's done for you, you can't really know who he is. You can't have relationship with God if you do not remember well. And that's why God built these patterns and rhythms into his people's lives forever. You got to remember. Why? So you would know me. You got to remember. You got to continue to tell the story. You got to remind yourself. You got to remember not to forget. Don't forget to remember. Like all of these things. Why? So you know me. So you know who I am. So you know what I can do. So you can know how I feel about you. Second step, find freedom. Do you see finding freedom in the passage? Tops of heads. That's what I want to see right now. Eyes on Bible. I feel like I'm a third grade teacher right now. <laughs> the Red Sea in verse 23. Do you see that? Like God dried up the Red Sea. Remember, we talked about the people of God were in slavery in Egypt. And what happened was as God brought those people out of slavery, God led them through the Red Sea to freedom. And later in your Bible, it points back to that story about the Red Sea. And it says, they were slaves in Egypt. You were slaves to sin. God set them free from their slavery to Egypt at the Red Sea. God set you free from your slavery to sin at the cross. 
And so the Red Sea becomes this picture of God setting people free from their slavery. And just like they were set free from literal physical slavery to the Egyptians, you have been set free at the cross from spiritual slavery to sin. This is the story they continue to tell. God set us free. God set us free. God set us free. That's why it's the second step of discipleship. Nobody ever has come to follow God and God lets them stay in their bondage. God doesn't do that. God's not, I'm really glad you know me now. Just stay stuck. Stay a slave. No, he leads people to freedom. That's his calling on every single life. That's why we call it the second step of discipleship. And in telling the story of how God set the people free and stacking these stones, we are also at the same time reminding ourselves and communicating just how much our freedom means to God. Stephen gave a great message uh, last week. Was it last week? I don't know. Two weeks ago? I don't know. I'm, I'm almost 40. I can't remember anything. I might have told the story earlier in the message. Who knows? Right? And he said, I feel like God's misunderstood. Right? Sometimes we devalue the freedom that means a lot to God. Like we settle for less than Jesus died for. Like, ah, I don't need to be free from that. And God's like, yes, you do need to be free from that. That's why I did all that I did for you, that you would be set free. And freedom means less to us than it means to God. And it's our stinking freedom. I got to keep going. I'll never finish. Third step of discipleship, discover purpose. I could just picture this kid asking his dad, dad, when God set us free from Egypt, we could go wherever we wanted, right? Yep. We were free, right? Yep. So how did we know where to go? If we could go anywhere we wanted, we weren't slaves anymore, how do we know where to go? We could have gone anywhere. We could have gone to Jamaica. That seems like the beach. Why didn't we go to the beach, right? Why didn't we go someplace nicer and more, I don't know, palm trees, something. God led his people because there was a purpose for them to fulfill. Remember the third promise to Abraham? You'll be a blessing to the whole world. You'll have a country, a homeland, and you'll be a blessing to the whole world world. So God, the, the father's response to his kid would have been, we had a nation to become. Yes, we were free, but that we had a calling and a purpose for our lives. We had a nation to become and a world to bless. We had a direction to go. We had some things that we needed to accomplish. Like there was a calling. There was a direction for our lives. This is the third step of discipleship. Not only does God call you into freedom, but he's not just like, hey, you're free. Now he's like, if you really want to know what that life abundantly is all, you want to know that fulfillment, that purpose that you're seeking, you feel like you're empty and you're like, I don't know if I'm doing what I should be doing. It's because you don't have a purpose. You don't have your direction. And the stones on the, on the east side of the Jordan River would have been a reminder, like, we have a purpose. God brought us into this land for a reason. There is stuff to be done. And then finally, the fourth step of discipleship to make a difference. The story seems to say that what God did for his people and the way his people remember and the story that the people of God tell is intended to literally change the world. Do you see that? Like, it seems so simple. God's like, hey, if you tell the story, if you have this conversation with your kid, then the whole world will know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. 
what, God, just this little thing of like us continuing to tell the story is going to change the world? Like, it seems like it would be more complicated than rap, right? I had a buddy that was taking his pilot's license training or whatever, and he finished it, and he was flying planes around for a while, and then he saved up his money, and he bought a plane. And I was scrolling through Insta, Facebook, something on the internet at one point, and there's a picture of him holding this little silver key, and the caption was like, got the keys to my plane today. But I was like, that key looks like it's to like a master lock, like padlock on like a dog shit. Like that key's just like a little tiny silver thing. I didn't know what the key to a plane would look like, but I thought it would be way more impressive than that, <laughs> right? Like my car key is like buttons on it and like flips out and like can start things. Like you just have a silver key and that like flies things? That seems like really like unclimactic. That's kind of the way God works. It's like we think that in order to change the world, it's got to be really complicated. You got to know a whole bunch and you got to study real hard and you got to know your, like you got to figure all this stuff out. It's got to be really difficult. No, no, it actually is very simple. Just don't stop telling the story. Just remember well. Just when people ask, just tell them how good God was and the world will literally change. I'll finish with this last thought. There was probably a temptation for the people of God to view the promised land as the goal, right? They're probably like, man, this is so much easier when we have a place to live. This is gonna be so great when we just build our little white picket fence and like two-car garage, 2.4 kids. Like, this is gonna be so much better. And yet the purpose of them living in the promised land was not so that they could stop pursuing God or the purpose and plan of his for their life, but so that they could go then and be a blessing to the whole world. The promised land was not the finish line. The promised land was the starting gun, right? God brought them into the promised land, not so they could be like, oh, good, glad that's over. But they go, we got a homeland, now let's go. We got a whole world to bless, let's get after it. And that's why we named this church Riverstone Chapel. I love that we have a church, I love that it exists. I love that four years in, we have a financial board and volunteers for our kids and, and like all this stuff is great, but that's not the finish line. We're not like, whoo, we started church, good. Let's go, man, we got a world to bless. There's lot, like some of you are fruit of that, right? You were wandering in sin, in bondage. God brought you to this church. Some people were kind and welcoming and friendly. You heard the word of God, the Holy Spirit changed your heart. And you're like, woo, let's do it. And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Let's go. We got a world to bless. It's not the finish line. It's the starting gun. It's not over. We're not like four years in, like high five, hug, sit down. Like, this is great. It's a great start. I'm super grateful for it. But now let's go bless the world. Let's do some stuff. Let's tell the story so that the whole world may know. I'm grateful for the past, but what I'm more excited about is the future. Right? God's not done with you. The best is in front of you. The best for this church is in front of you. The world's going to go crazy. 
If it's not this pandemic, it's the next one. If it's not this election, it's the next one. If it's not these two parties, it's the two other parties. If it's not whatever, right? It's going to go crazy. And yet, if we continue to tell the story, we can be a blessing in the midst of it. Amen? Let's have Jake come on up. Uh, we're going to sing this last song, which you know, because it's, it's kind of part of our culture at church. It's called Remember, which is pretty fitting for this morning's message, right? Let's go ahead and pray. Father, I thank you for your word and for uh, just what an incredible encouragement it is to us and how we are reminded of your goodness and, and your goodness not only in our lives, uh, but your goodness extending back generations and generations and generations through a lineage of your people who can all testify and say, I remember how good God is and I will continue to tell that story. So Father, give us that grace, not only to walk in uh, the seeing of your goodness, but to tell the story of how good you've been. And Father, by your grace, that will change this world. And I'm excited to see it. And I know that you've brought people here who are excited to see it, and thank you for that. Bless our time right now, Lord, as we sing your song. Yes, in your name. Amen.